Ain't that a great song? Yes. I look forward to the, the day I get to sing that to my king. <clears throat> Standing before Jesus Christ and the glory of his majesty. Look forward to that time. I often think about what it must have been like for the disciples. You know, they spent all that time, you know, three years walking around with Jesus. Waking up with him, having breakfast, lunch, dinner with him. Seeing him move in incredible ways, doing incredible things. And then, one day, he was gone. I wonder how much they missed him. The rest of their life. That's why when Paul himself, Peter, John, when they would write about the return of Jesus Christ, they would always write in a personal pronoun that included themselves. We earnestly wait. Why? Because they missed Jesus. They wanted him back. You miss Jesus that way this morning? Do you miss him, long for him, long for that opportunity when we get to look into his eyes, see him face to face? I can't hardly wait. When I think about it that way, you know, I, I never consider... Being with the Lord, uh, an opportunity to miss anything. Because I miss Him. I want to know Him like He knows me. And the Bible tells us that we get to do that one day. When we see Him face to face. And as we take a look at all the chaos in our world, as Fritz was talking about. It's a pretty nutty place, isn't it? I mean, who knows what they're going to do tomorrow. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, I love it because it's such an opportunity. Do you know that it's such an opportunity? The opportunity is, while all the world is going, what is going on and what's going to happen and and coming nigh unto panic, the chaos around them. You know you have hope, right? You know Jesus Christ. Jesus said days like these would come. And worse than these will come. But it's okay. Bring them. Because Jesus said when those days come, he said, look up. Your redemption draws near. So I look for him. No matter how hard the wind blows, no matter how expensive the gas gets. I'm thinking, you know, when I came, I had a Harley. Now I have a big old truck. (laughs) perfect time for gas to go up, right? (laughs) But I also know the Lord knows. The Lord knows what I have need of. The Lord knows the situations. The Lord knows where all that chaos is going. And I trust Him more than I worry about the guy on the news channel who tells me we're circling the drain. Jesus told me we were going to do that anyway. He said those days were coming. It's okay. When he told the disciples those things, you know what he said? Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. For I go to my father's house. And if I go to my father's house, I will come again to bring you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He'd been working on it a long time, sooner or later. He's going to come. Until that time, you know what Jesus said? 
occupied till I come. Stay busy. We got work to do, right? We got a world that's dying without Jesus Christ every day. And Jesus says, until you see my face, go forward with the hope. The hope that there's sense in all this craziness. That it matters. And that God has a plan. He says in Jeremiah 29, 11, what that plan is, doesn't he? I know the thoughts that I think toward you, he said. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you what? A future and a hope. That's God's plan. That's God's design. We can trust in him. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open up with me the book of Ephesians. As we consider these things, let's remember what we've been going through as we... As we take a look what the Lord has for us today, a lot of people ask a lot of different questions. Uh, often, actually, they come up, and probably most of you have heard them. They'll say things like, well, can I be a Christian and, and, and without going to church? Well, sure. You can be a Christian without going to church. You can be a tuba player without a band. But not many people are going to buy your album. How many of you guys are going to rush out today and say, you know, I'm going to buy that Sola Tuba Players album. (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. Man, it's so exciting. So yeah, you can be a Christian without church. And a tuba player without a band. A soldier without an army. That makes a lot of sense, don't it? You got a couple guys right now thinking, I could be a one-man army. Trust me, brother, (laughs) that only works in the movies. Only in the movies can Arnold Schwarzenegger grab a gun and run through a million guys shooting at him. And none of them can hit him. You seen the size of Arnold Schwarzenegger lately? Come on. I served in the military. Nobody is that bad a shot. If you stand in the open, running through the open, carrying a gun... And everybody's shooting at you. They're not all bad. The amazing thing, though, is as Arnold's running through all those people, he can hold a a 50 caliber machine gun in one hand. Usually it takes a truck to hold that. He can run through it one hand with belts wrapped around his arm, muscles flexing. And when he shoots, he doesn't miss anybody. People are falling down right and left. He got them all. So if you can be like Arnold, you can be a soldier without an army. But in the land of the real, (laughs) I don't know. See, if you were from California, you would know Arnold got shot every day he was a governor. Every day. Nobody missed him. They all got him. Listen. When we look at wanting to move forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ and having everything that God has for us, we studied, our study in the book of Ephesians began with this precept. Consider the wealth that you have already in Jesus Christ. And so we went through the wealth that we had in the first three chapters. And as we began chapter four, we look at a new section in the book. It's a section designed on walking. Over and over and over again, he's going to talk about the walk. Right now, we're talking about walking in unity. May you, maybe you remember we were together a couple of weeks ago and we talked about a lot of the things in, re, in, in regard to that. 
Walking in unity, walking in lowliness, walking in gentleness and meekness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. You know, that helps us walk in unity. To have that attitude that God wants us to have, the character of Jesus Christ, right? And we, we read in the, God, in, the, in the epistle of John, didn't we? John said, listen, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, you ought also what? To walk as he walked. To walk like Jesus. To, to resemble, have a, have a family resemblance. Isn't it nice when you have a family resemblance? When people look at you and don't say, man, you don't look like nobody in your family. But the mailman, on the other hand, <laughs> hey, that's not good, right? We want to have a family resemblance. We want to have a family resemblance. And you know the cool thing is, I can't even tell you how many times we have a, a, a family that we know um, from back home that has adopted kids. And people will come up to them all the time to their adopted children and say, you look so much like your mom and dad. Now, mom and dad would never say anything. They would never say anything. Why? Because the reality is you, you kind of become like the people you hang out with. And you take on those characteristics. It's the same way with our relationship with God. We want to walk in unity. The more we hang out with the Lord, the more we're going to look like him when we're walking around. The more we're going to act like him when we need to speak. The more we're going to have boldness like he has when he stands before the Sanhedrin. And then he laid out for us, last time we were together, we talked about that root. Where does that root of our unity come from? The, the root of our unity, guys, it, it comes from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remember? The root of our unity, one Lord, one Spirit, one God, and Father of all. That we're rooted in that triune Godhead, and it brings that unity. But as we continue on in chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, he has some important things for us to grasp. We need to understand these things today, guys. We do. Because a lot of people think church growth is about numbers. Church growth has nothing to do with numbers. Zero. Church growth has to do with moving from immaturity to maturity. To moving forward with the Lord. Day by day by day being more like Christ. That's what church growth is. And that's what our goal is. And if we want to walk in unity, we've got to grow. And if we're going to grow, he tells us how we can do that. He's going to lay out for us his perfect plan on how we can do that. How can we attain to grow? Let's look at verse 7. Chapter 4 of Ephesians verse 7. But to each one of us... Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us, grace was given. Anybody not get grace? Somebody get into this relationship with Jesus Christ because you're such a wonderful fella? That's that soldier that doesn't need an army, right? The rest of us, we get in by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Nobody else would have picked me for this team. But God chose me. And he's so unashamed of me that he's willing to be known as the God of Jackie. Do you know he's willing to be known as your God as well? What he desires of us is that we would not be ashamed to be known as a follower of Almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He wants to know that we're not ashamed of him. The scripture lays out to each of us an enabling grace has been given. This concept, this grace has been given, is that empowerment, that enablement for you to be, to do whatever it is God's called you to do. And just in case you were thinking, you know, the day they were given that gift out, I wasn't at church. It says, but to each one of us. That's everybody. But I didn't come that day. Well, you know, there's a little story about that. Shocking, huh? There's this fella. He was a disciple. His name was Thomas. And while all the other disciples were together hanging out, and, and they're having this little meeting about how sad they were that Jesus was gone, and what are we going to do now? And Thomas, Scripture lays out for us that Thomas was also called the Didymus. It, it means the twin. That Some people think he looked like Jesus. And sometimes people thought Thomas was Jesus. And, and Thomas, he was the guy who said, when Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and, and the other disciples said, Lord, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to die there. Thomas is the one who said... Well, then let's go die with him. So while this meeting's going on and all these guys are bummed, Thomas, he decides, you know what? I'm not doing this. I'm not pouting no more. I'm going to go walk around. Maybe one of the Sanhedrin will think I'm Jesus and I can get in a fight. I think he was out looking for a fight. The disciples all come together and as they're standing there in that one place, the scripture says Jesus was there. That's what happens when we miss a meeting. We miss Jesus. He shows up. It says where two or three are gathered, there he is in their midst. He doesn't say where one is wandering around looking for a fight. There I am. Does it? Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. This gathering together. And there Jesus was. So what happens? The next day the disciples are all telling him, Thomas, you won't believe it. Jesus is alive. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I, I won't believe it. You guys all get sick last night or something when I was gone? What are you talking about? Jesus is not alive. We all saw him on the cross. I won't believe Jesus is alive unless he was standing right here in front of me. And then if I put my fingers into wounds in his hands, put my arm into his side, then I'll believe. Do you remember what happened next? Be careful what you wish for, huh? And there was Jesus standing before Thomas. And Jesus held out his hand and said, Thomas, here I am. Look. The nail prints in my hands. Come, touch, feel the wound in my side here. But then he said, Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas declared, my Lord and what? My God. And he fell down and worshiped him. Each one of the men that left that place left with a walk of unity. The body of Christ moving together, working together. The the Lord gave unto that body on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit to equip them and empower them. And then to each one of those, a grace was given. And if you went to Peter's service, it'd be different than Thomas's service. It'd been different than John's service. It'd been different than any of the other disciples. Why? Because they're all crazy? No, because they had different gifts. And so they functioned within the body of Christ in different ways. But each one functioned, didn't they? Each one had a role. Each one had a responsibility. And each one moved forward. To each of you, the scripture declares... 
An enabling grace has been given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then in verse 8 he says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, he's quoting from Psalm 68. He's quoting from Psalm 68 from a, a, what they call an alternate reading in, the, in a Peshitta Targum. But all that means that, he, that he's, uh, he's going to use the words a little bit differently. If you looked up Psalm 68 right now, he's using them to e- explain what Jesus Christ did. And this is how he explains it. He says, man, listen, Jesus Christ. He's saying when he ascended on high... He led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. When Jesus ascended, what did he say? When I go to heaven, what was he going to do? Don't be sad that I'm going because when I go, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. I won't leave you orphans. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to empower you. He's going to empower you to be above and beyond anything that you can even imagine. Now, verse 9, he says, Now this he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended far above in all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, as we look at this, people get excited because, you know, in in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in 1 Peter chapter 4, the Bible tells us the things that occurred to Jesus after he was crucified. It talks about him going down into the lower parts of the earth. But that's not what he's talking about here. When he talks about Jesus coming down into the lower parts of the earth in this particular section of scripture, he's saying he came down from the highest heights of heaven. Almighty God, omniscient, omnipotent, the, the, the incredible almighty God came all the way down to a mother's womb. Can you imagine the distance? But Jackie, it says the lower parts of the earth. Yeah, I know. Psalm 139. David says of the Lord, You were there when I was made in secret. You formed my inward parts in the lower parts of the earth. Speaking of being within his mother's womb. There you were. Lord, you were, you were there in that place. Here he's saying, man, almighty, incredible, magnificent God came all the way down. But not even just all the way down to a mother's womb. He came all the way down to be obedient even to the point of death. Don't ever lose the majesty of almighty, all-powerful God being willing to die. For you and I. Not only that. All the way down to the point that he became sin. That he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. He who was higher than the heavens, high above everything, came so low. Now, if you want to see what Jesus did then, if we, we hold our finger here, just turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll run this rabbit trail down for a minute, just so, uh, so everybody can see what we're talking about. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 18, 
The scripture says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Hey, he's saying, listen, he went down and preached to spirits that were in prison. And these spirits were in prison during the time of Noah. Man. Did you know that there was a time when God chained up the worst of the worst of the demons? Really bad guys. We come to the book of Revelation, we'll see him unlocking the chains and turning them loose. But here it says he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, why would he preach to them? They can't be saved. Well, when we take a look at the word preach, it's not the word evangelicum where, where he goes and brings the, the gospel. No, it's a word that means he proclaimed his victory. He went down, if you, if you read the gospel of Luke, you'll understand that the grave, Sheol, was divided into two parts until death, uh, Christ's death. One part was called Abraham's bosom. The other part was called the grave, Sheol, hell. And so the, the place of the wicked, the unrighteous dead, those who weren't looking forward to the Messiah, that was hell. The place of the righteous dead was Abraham's bosom. Jesus tells a story about what occurs in that place. Jesus, when he died, went down and he proclaimed to those spirits... Those ones who at one time had said, maybe while he was on the cross, and Psalm 22 says, mighty bulls from Bashan have encircled me. Bulls from Bashan point to demonic activity. And the demons all stood around him while he was on the cross and laughed at him. Said, oh, we got you now. What are you going to do to help your people now? It's over. It's finished. This is a knockout blow. When Jesus died, he went and proclaimed the victory. He walked up there, walked into that place where those spirits were in prison, held up his hands, said, touchdown. And then he didn't have to talk a lot of trash. He just said, scoreboard, and walked away. He proclaimed to them he was victorious. He was victorious. But then we look at chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse <coughs> Verse 6, it says, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now this is a Greek word, evangelicum. It's a concept of he proclaimed the gospel to the righteous dead who were looking for the Messiah. He came and said, I'm here. I fulfilled that promise you've been looking for. And then he brought him home. And he brought him home. He led captivity captive. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. We're going home. And as we look back at, at Ephesians, the idea here that, that Paul is expressing, this concept is this, this incredible exaltation of a conquering king who came from so high to so low and won the victory. And now it's like he's bursting forth 
in song and exclaiming the majesty that here he comes, the conquering king, and he gave gifts to men. He gave them gifts. He said, here, now, now I have overcome. And you too can be overcomers. And here's what you need. Here's what you need, brother. Here's what you need, sister. Here's that gift. Jesus in exaltation providing that amazing, beautiful, wonderful gifting that was necessary in his ascension, even as he rises up into the heavens. I found this, uh, this great synopsis of this whole thing. Let me share it with you. It says, Jesus descended to earth where he set aside the independent exercise of his attributes. Submitting the exercise of these attributes to the Father's will. And he went down, down, down in the incarnation. And went further down into his death, actually becoming sin for us. But then he burst forth in exultation so that he fills all the universe as a conquering king. And joyously lavishes gifts on his children. That's what Paul's talking about. This resurrected Savior. Jesus Christ, the conquering king. And so he says, And he himself, he, Jesus Christ, he himself, he gave. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Won't that be an exciting day? Exciting day. So what's he speak of? He's speaking of here, he gave four men, gifted men, to the church. These are the gifted men that he gave to the church. He says, first, he gave apostles. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we understand that the office of apostle and the office of prophet were foundational to the building of the church. That once that foundation was laid, that office ceased to exist. Especially in regard to an apostle. There were requirements in the scripture. What were the requirements to be an apostle? Do you remember? You had to physically see Jesus. You had to be a witness of his resurrection from the dead. And you had to have the ability to perform miracles. To hold the office of apostle. Well then why does he say he gave some to be apostles? What does apostle mean? Apostle means to be sent out. To be sent out. In the, in the sense of the office of apostle. The office of apostle is done. They laid the foundation. They died and went away. But in the function of an apostle. The function of an apostle was to be sent out. Can you think of who within the body of Christ is sent out? Missionaries. Missionaries are sent out. People who go out to plant churches. People who go to begin new works. People who are sent from A to B. I gave some, some to be apostles. To fulfill this role within the church. It's a gift within the church. 
Well, how do we know that? Because, guys, if you search the scriptures and study them, you'll discover that Timothy was called an apostle, Barnabas was called an apostle, never held the office of apostle, not like Paul or Peter or John. But what were they? Sent out. Sent out to do a work, to establish a work. So he says, here's the gifts I've given the church. These are the gifted men that are within the church, those who they're going to send out. Those who are going to be involved in missionary works, moving forward, meeting that need within the church, going, being sent. I gave some to be prophets. Again, in the, in the primary sense of the office of prophet. It was foundational in Ephesians chapter 2. Once the foundation is laid, how do you build the walls? You can't keep laying the foundation. The foundation's laid. Laid on the apostles and the prophets. The noun using that as an office. But what about the man who has, isn't there a gift of prophecy for today? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14. Paul says, I desire that you would prophesy even more than any of the other gifts that he discusses. That you would prophesy and edify the church. Then what does he mean? The gift of prophecy deals with those who will not always foretell the future but speak forth the word of God. I've given those, these men within the, within the church, these people, I should say, men and women within the church that have this ability to speak forth, to speak out God's word, that they would be able to fulfill that, that gifting and prophecy. Now, if someone comes to you and says, I'm coming to you as your apostle, You should know there are no apostles like that anymore. You're not Peter, James, John, or Paul. You're not one of the 12. You're not an apostle like that. You don't speak ex cathedra. The words out of your mouth aren't scripture. But if you're sent out to do a work, you fulfill that concept of being an apostle you fulfill that concept of some being sent out as prophets speaking forth the word of god sometimes telling us about what's going to happen in the future absolutely within the body of christ these gifted persons within the body are given some apostles some prophets and then he goes on well let's think about it what was what was the gift of prophecy given for you guys remember? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. I'll just read it to you if you don't want to turn there. But it says, But he who prophesies what? Speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Build up, stir up, cheer up. That's what the gift of prophecy is for. So there are those people within the church. Aren't there people within the church who build people up? Man, you want to see someone who, who I believe fulfills that gift of, of, of being within the church as a, with, the, with the anointing of prophecy and the ability to build up, stir up, and cheer up? Spend 20 minutes with my wife. If you're done, see if you're not built up, stirred up, or cheered up. I promise you, within the body... God says, I've given, I've given apostles, those who will be sent out. I've given prophets, those who will build up, stir up, and cheer up within the body of Christ. He says, I've given evangelists. Isn't that what he says next? Some 
apostles, some prophets, some evangelists. Some evangelists. Thank God there are some evangelists. Hey, there is no question. We have folks here within our body with the gift of evangelism. I'll tell you right now, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to wonder about it. Fritz has the gift of evangelism. He has the ability to go and talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ and just make the word, the gospel relevant and make it speak to their heart and, and, and present it in such a way people want to get saved. I mean, think about it. Probably in this room, several people who, who would attribute the, the person first introducing them to the gospel, it came by way of Fritz. Because he's been given to the church with this grace given, this gift of evangelism. He can also encourage those who, who don't think that they can tell anybody because the, the upside to it is we're all called to share our faith, to share our God story. But some people can be like Billy Graham, right? Stand in that big old stadium. How many of you guys like to stand in front of 30,000 people someday just try to speak? Some of us are like, no, no, no. Some people would say, oh, man, I'd rather speak in front of 30,000 people than one person. Because, you see, that gift functions differently in different people, don't it? Sure it does. He's given some apostles to be sent out, some prophets to build up, stir up, cheer up, and then some evangelists with a, with a gift of evangelism to, to, because that's how people are brought to Jesus, right? Bringing them to Jesus. Bringing them to him. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. Come and see Jesus. Come. Hear the words that he has to share with us. Come to him. Specifically gifted to preach the good news. And God gave these men and women to the church. They're here today. Among us. Among us here in this place. And some he gave pastors and teachers. Now, some people look at this as two separate offices. I'll tell you why it's only one. The reason why it's only one office is, in the Greek, there's a law called the Granville Sharp Law, which this statement follows specifically, perfectly. It means these two things are speaking of one individual, one person. Two things in one person. The word pastor is simply the word for shepherd. And the word teacher that it's is a this is a shepherd that teaches. There's a shepherd that teaches. He says these are specifically given, specifically given shepherds who are teachers, those who will guide and direct, and through whom God's going to bring vision and direction. And then they're going to take the word of God, and they're going to not only guide and direct the body, but teach. Because the only way we're going to grow is by putting the Word of God in. We eat the Word of God. That's our sustenance. It's our food. And as we eat the Word of God, we grow. Not bigger, like I have. We grow more mature. More mature in the Lord. What, are we, what is our goal? To measure up to the stature of Jesus Christ. Anybody there yet? See, if you're there, you can say, you know... I've had enough of that Bible study stuff. You know, I go at least once a week. Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. Unless you look like Jesus, you need more. Oh, you're kidding me. 
<laughs> really? You need more. You need more of the word to help you grow into the stature and the fullness of Jesus Christ. So we'd be like him. And the Lord says, listen, this is who I've given. These are men. Now, he's not necessarily talking about gifts. Men and women. People within the body right now. This is his focus, right? Walking in unity. Jesus, raised in exaltation, gave these gifts. And sent forth his church. And said, now, because of the wealth that I've given you, walk in unity. What did Jesus pray in John 17? Father, let my church be one. What church was he talking about? He was only speaking of our church. He only wants our church to be one. No. He's speaking of the whole body of Christ. All who would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That body that that understands the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That's him. Walk in unity. Here we go, guys. We're walking. We're walking. And and these are the gifts I've given you. Some who will be sent out. Some who will build up, stir up, cheer up. Some who are going to bring others to Christ. And others who are going to teach and guide the flock. This is how the function should be within the body. This is what he's laying out for us. Hey, this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there. But what's the purpose for all that? For the equipping of the saints. Who's the saints? We are. Oh, Jackie, you don't know. I'm not much of a saint. You believe in Jesus Christ, you're a saint. Saved by grace, absolutely. But a saint nonetheless. For the equipping of the saints. You mean these guys, these people within the church who function in this ministry, missionaries who are sent out, those who build up, stir up, and cheer up, those who evangelize, those who shepherd, guide, and teach the word of God. The purpose behind it all is so that you are ready to serve. Oh man, I knew something like this was going to happen today. There's a lot of other places I could have been and things I could have done today. Preacher talking about now I got to serve. Next thing you know, he's going to tell me they need help on something. (laughs) Yeah, guess what? What's the purpose, guys? The purpose and the function of the gifts is so that the saints would be equipped. For what? What's it say? For the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. See, we're all supposed to function together. We're all supposed to work together. All the work within the church is not supposed to fall on one people or four people or seven people. Or even 10% of the people. Or 20% of the people. It's supposed to fall on 100% of the people. That we are equipped by the word of God for the work of the ministry to be involved. Guys, if we're not involved in the ministry, if we're not involved, then we're disobedient to God's word. Oh no, the gifts didn't come to me. The word of God's not really talking about me. I'm not one of those saints who's supposed to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Oh, but you are. We all have something to give. And we need to be giving that something within the body. Or the body's not healthy. The body's not okay. 
Well, you've heard it like this. Occasionally, I'll have someone come up to me and they'll say, you know what, Jackie, I've been looking around and I've been thinking, you know, we have a lot of really good things here. A lot of neat Bible studies. We got, we got a women's Bible study. We got a men's Bible study led by people within the church. And, and those are really good things. And, and we're excited about a couple study that's, that's coming. Uh, by the way, if you want to know, come tonight. Otherwise, I'll try to remember to call you. We got couple study coming up. And, and I was thinking, man, we could really use a, like a single study. And I'll say, man, so, so God's giving you a vision for a single study, huh? That's about the time all the breaks come on. <laughs> no, no, I just saw that there was something lacking and, and, and. You mean to tell me God gave you eyes to see a need within the body of Christ. You've been equipped by the word of God to do the work of the ministry, but God wasn't talking to you about it. It's funny how he's always talking to me. No, Jackie, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be you. Uh, uh, I didn't get that memo. Listen, within the body. That's how it functions, very naturally. When I see something that, where there's a need, guys, we have people within the body that are such a blessing and doing the work of the ministry. It's not just teaching a Bible study. It's not just <clears throat> teaching children's church or, or doing Sunday school. You know, most of us were thankful we weren't walking in eight inches of snow to come into church today. And how does that occur? Because someone that's been equipped by the word of God for the work of the ministry recognizes this is something God wants me to do. You know the amazing thing? I don't ever have to call him. He just knows when it snows. (laughs) And he takes care of it. Because that is what it is. He is fulfilling a position, a need within the body of Christ. Guys, when all these chairs appeared, they were not put together. Nor were they stacked here. Nor were the pews gone. And as much as I'd like to say, I just stood outside and said, hocus pocus, gallabocus, and it all happened. It didn't. What happened? Call went out to the saints of God who were equipped by the word of God to recognize needs within the ministry. And all of a sudden I have guys showing up with screwdriver drills. We had tons of people show up to put the chairs together. Each one fulfilling a role of service that God had directed them to. I don't know, Jackie, you called me. I just let you know about the need. You came. You served. You helped. The work got done. Things got accomplished. Because God's gifting works that way. People who are equipped fulfill the needs of ministry within the body of Christ. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Guys, if we don't do this, we're all going to be frustrated. Well, here's a great example. For every New Testament concept, there's an Old Testament picture. You guys remember Moses, right? Something like two and a half million people were his congregation. That's a big church. Agreed? 
And one day his father-in-law Jethro in Exodus chapter 18 comes out to check out what Moses is doing. And Moses, he's, he's trying to help all these people. All day long he works. The line to see Moses doesn't get any shorter. And Moses, maybe he comes home and he thinks Jethro's going to tell me how wise I am. All the good counsel that I provided. And Jethro looks at him and says, Moses, this thing you do is not good. You can't do this by yourself. Appoint 70 men to come alongside. And 70 men were appointed to come alongside Moses. And to take up the mantle of the ministry that needed to be done. And they took responsibility for the service that had to be a part of of what the body was to accomplish. And I imagine that first day Moses went home, but I bet he was feeling relieved. Don't you think? Man, I have help. I have help within the body of Christ, those who are willing to serve, those who are willing to be a part, those who see a need and then say, I'm going to plug myself in and be a part of the solution for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I don't really know what there is to do. Well, great opportunity come tonight. Yeah, the guys in the charge of ministries don't know it, but they're all speaking tonight. That's fair warning. <laughs> and they're going to share that, about that ministry that, 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 they're, uh, that they're working in and the opportunities within that ministry for service and, and ways in which people can get involved. And you can find out all about it and have pancakes. Man, that's a win-win. I encourage you to look for those opportunities and understand it's not those four offices. It's not that four, the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the, and the pastor teachers that accomplish everything. It's not. The body. The body does it. The body does it. It can't be done with just one part. I know this. I know this oh so well because Fritz took me skiing again. Did your body ever do things that you haven't told it to do? <laughs> so I'm skiing. Uh, apparently powder's a good thing. I don't know about that. You're going to have to convince me later. But <clears throat> I can't see my feet all the time. But apparently under the snow where my feet are, other people have already skied and made tracks. Yeah. So I'm skiing down the hill, and my brain is controlling my body in amazing ways. I'm like a cat, man. <laughs> Going down that hill, and, 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 and it's, it's, I feel like I should be in the Olympics. I'm going so fast down the Milky Way. <laughs> And as, I, as I'm going down the, the, that extremely fast milk run they got over there at Palmerell, you know, picking up speed, all of a sudden, my legs go two different directions. My brain immediately sent an alarm. The body is not functioning in unity right now. One foot's going one way, the other foot's going the other way. 
Now, all day long, whenever that happened, I would push the panic button. Which would occur immediately after hitting that button, there would be a, a snow sample taken. And it's good because I was thirsty about that time and I needed something to drink. But this particular time, coming down the hill, and one leg went one way, and one leg went the other way, and the, and the brain said, disunity in the body. And I missed the panic button because I was reaching for it. I missed the panic button, and them legs come back together. I, I almost looked around to say, Fritz, do you see that? But he was skiing somewhere else. Nobody got to see, just me. The body work in unity, the legs come back together. I got all the way down the hill. No snow sample. For those of you who are worried, if Jackie got enough to drink, don't worry, I had enough snow everywhere else on my body, I could always get something to drink. But I didn't take a sample at that moment. Listen, this is what, that, this is what that's like. In verse 14, he says, he says, listen, well, let's look at 13. Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to the perfect man. That word for perfect means mature, complete, lacking nothing. To the perfect man, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. So we're wanting to measure up to Christ in all that we do. That we would no longer be immature. Look what he says. No longer be children tossed to and fro with our legs going two different ways and eating it in the snow over and over and over and over again. He says, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be like children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. When we're immature and we're not standing under the teaching of the word and holding on to those things that we know to be true, new things flow through and we take off like, whoo, man, that, did you hear? I don't know if you heard, Jesus is coming back in May. Did you guys get that mail? Uh, they sent it to me. Uh, I threw it away pretty fast, but I think it's like May 12th, 2011 or something. And this, it takes them six pages to explain why, first thing they say, oh, I know, I know, I know the Bible says that you're, no man knows the day or the hour. But, and then they do these amazing back salts. Back salts, what's that? Back, that was somersaults and backflips put together. Back salts. <laughs> So they were doing all these crazy, <laughs> sorry, <clears throat> they're, doing, they're doing all these backflips on this is how this is and this and that and they're twisting scripture up in a pretzel. What should we know by studying the word of God? That's false. But you know why they mail that out? Because people believe it. They look at it because they haven't grown up because what did we say in the beginning? Can I be a Christian and not be in church? Yeah, like a tuba player without a band. No support. And you're following all these, these cunningly devised plans of men. Every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Literally, in the Greek, he's talking about weighted dice. You're, you're listening, when guys bring false doctrine, it's like that guy who comes to you with weighted dice and says, hey, hey, let's, let's, play, let's play dice. Let's play. I, I bet I roll a seven. Huh. Huh. I just got lucky. 
until he took all your money. Now, at some point, you're like, what? But you know how they work, right? Give me them dice. I'll roll a seven. But he reached in his pocket, and I got another pair of dice for you. And those don't roll nothing but snake eyes. But it doesn't work. What's going on? He's deceiving you. Because you don't have that support of a body. You're just a part of the body out on its own. But within the body, walking in unity, we're, we should be able to grow in maturity and recognize these things. How? In verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Alethwentis in the Greek. It literally means not just speaking. It means speaking, acting, walking, being. That you are truth incarnate in love. What you do is truth. How you walk is truth. What you say is truth. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Ministering to one another. What are, we, what are we talking about? Listen, we're talking about lives that are true. True lives that are married to love. And ready to go and, and be exactly what Christ has called them to be. This is maturity. We'll become Christ-like. Right? To the fullness, the stature of Jesus Christ. Then what? We're going to have stability. We're not falling over legs going two different ways. We're not being tripped up by deceitful planning and and the cunningly devised fables that these guys have. Because we know the truth of God's word. We have stability. We are truthing. We're walking in truth. We're speaking the truth. But not just the truth. Mixed with love. It's all about love. Love's like the circulatory system of the church. You know that, right? Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by what? Your love, one for another. How you care about one another. How you reach out to one another. Not just speaking the truth, but doing the truth in love. And what happens when we do this? He says that you may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. Christ is the head. He directs. He guides. The body, you and I, to be, to do, to function. How many times does Paul use this as, a, as an example, as an idiom in Scripture? That we would be like a body, functioning together, doing the work. Well, in verse 16, he lays it out for us. From whom the whole body, the whole body, joined and knit together by what? Most joint supply? What's it say? By what every joint supplies. That's all of us, guys. Every one of us. Every single one. The body moves forward, knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which, how many parts? Every part does its share and causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. These gifts that Jesus gave in this, in this amazing, powerful exhortation as He resurrects from the dead and as He rises up to be seated at the right hand of the Father, He lays out these gifts. Every one of us have a purpose here in this body. If you don't fellowship here, if, you, if there's another home uh, church you're just visiting, then you're that body. And you should find that place where you have been gifted to serve. I'm not talking about talents. I'm talking about the gifting of God. 
God's anointed hand upon you for service. If we are not serving, we are not growing. If we're not in service, if we're not putting out what's being poured in, then we're just dead weight. You ever had dead weight in your body? Yes, some of us have more dead weight than others. But you know what I mean. That part, what isn't doing what it's supposed to. I had a whole body of dead weight when we got back from skiing. I got out the car and everything moaned and groaned and didn't want to move and didn't want to do. Sometimes that's the way it is within the body of Christ. We, we've got a lot of moaning and groaning. We've got a lot of noise. But we don't have a lot of action. We don't have a lot of people saying, you know what? I've been listening and following and, and God's been speaking to me. And man, I want to go be, do what God's calling me to do. We need to do that. We need to do that. I'm going to share just one quick little poem with you. As we close. It says, I've been a dead weight for many years around the church's neck. I've let others carry me and always pay the check. I had my name upon the rolls for years and years gone by. I criticized and grumbled too. Nothing really satisfied. I, I've been dead weight long enough though upon the church's back. Beginning now, I'm going to take a wholly different track. I'm going to pray and pay and work and carry loads instead. And not have others carry me like people do the dead. Hey, God wants us to be alive in service, fulfilling the plan that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Do you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to study your word. Father, we pray, God, that the truth laid out within Scripture here that plainly calls us to be about doing the things that God has put upon our hearts and the things with which we have been equipped. Lord, we pray, God, that you would just help us, that you would direct us, that you would guide us. As we have an opportunity, as the worship team uh, comes forward with worship, Lord, we pray. We pray, Father, that, that those of us who are saying, you know, I'm not really sure what my gifting is, or I'm not really sure where I could serve, God, I just pray, Lord, that they, they don't just make that an excuse to, to wander away, but, Father, they just look to you and say, Lord, reveal it to me. God wants you to know it's not a secret. He wants you to share. He wants you to be a part. He wants you to mature because it's not only through study, but through service that we grow, that we mature that we measure up to Jesus Christ who came and gave. Lord, we pray that you would equip us, even as you have, as, a, as you have equipped the saints for the work of the ministry. God, let us find our niche, our part within the body where each part does its share so that we as a body can move on to what you have for us. So that we could fulfill your perfect plan and design for us. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. 
We seek that anointing of your spirit now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.